Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. In the last show, I discussed with Professor Tim Bale what opposition parties need to get right. So this time I'm joined by one of my colleagues in the Liberal Democrats, charged with making sure we do indeed get things right, Councillor Lisa Smart, as well as being a councillor in Stockport and parliamentary candidate in Hazel Grove. Since earlier this year, Lisa has been chair of the party's Federal Communications and Elections Committee, otherwise known as the FCEC. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I, I guess with things like the Thornhill Election Review report and so on recently published, something that will be in a lot of people's minds at the moment is how are we going to change as a party? How are we going to be more successful in the future? So if you had to sum up your approach to your role as chair of the FCEC in sort of one phrase, what would it be? So our job is to get more Lib Dems elected. And I think if you get more of our Lib Dems elected, then they're more able to enact our values and change their communities for the better. And I think one of the things that we've seen time and time again in elections is that sometimes people feel it's a risk to vote Lib Dem. And that's because they don't see us as being potentially winners or being able to make a difference. And so the more winning we do, the more credibility we build and the more difference we can make to our communities. And I guess implicit in that is... Uh, assumption perhaps that we've not focused enough on winning elections in the past I mean I guess last year we had a very mixed record the local and the European elections were brilliant the general election was anything but brilliant um, but certainly I think one of the criticisms that's quite often made of the party structures and so on is that it's quite easy to get focused in on your little committee or your little bit that can be several steps removed from us being more successful as a party and that we can lose a little bit of focus on our overall objective. So do you feel there's a, a question there about how much the whole organisation really bears in mind the need to win votes? I think, yes, I absolutely think that's the case. And I think it's easily done. So if you are organised in the way the Liberal Democrats are organised, so you're a member of a local party and a regional party, and then your state party and then federal level, but then you're also involved in maybe one of your interest groups and so maybe you're a trade unionist and you want to be part of the Lib Dem trade unionists or the Green Lib Dems or whoever, you can get caught up in the bureaucracy at, at every single one of those levels. Mm. And sometimes that can be really important to get right. And other times it can be, you know, what sort of scones get served at the coffee morning. And you can put all your energy into that rather than fighting for the cause and winning elections and so sometimes we can get caught up in fighting with one another rather than fighting where the real I guess enemies to, to our beliefs are and that's typically outside the party. Yeah and I, I guess also certainly my impression often has been because I probably served on more party committees over the years than is good for me is it's quite easy isn't it is to lose sight of the bigger picture and to just want your little bit of the operation to work, which is great if we're all geared up to a common strategy overall, then everyone focusing on their own little bit really helps. But the risk is actually everyone is focused on their own little bit, pointing in slightly different directions with different priorities, and it ends up very sort of disparate. I think that's right. And I think talking to ourselves more than talking to the people whose lives we want to improve by making change happen in our community so I think we can so 
typically, if we're looking at your average Lib Dem member, if such a thing even were to exist, we would care much more about some issues than most people in our country. And let's talk about electoral reform as a, as a good example. We typically uh, care much more about it and think it is the answer to far more questions yeah. than most people. And so we'll talk about it more. Is that a compelling vision to give our communities when they're worried about how they're going to feed their kids over the summer holidays? I think we need to keep working on that. Yeah, and I guess that highlights the role of how we approach thinking about policy, because my answer to your question would be, uh, yes, electoral reform is relevant to those issues, albeit it's several steps along the chain. But the challenge really is not the detailed policy debate about what version of STV do we want and how do we want the transfers to work. The challenge is how do you make electoral reform a message that is relevant to people who feel that it's removed from their day-to-day -day lives. And I, I made this point in a previous episode where we were talking about housing policy. Where I said, actually, you know, our policy debates love getting into huge detail about housing policy when it strikes me the big issue with housing is not any of that detailed policy. It's how do you persuade people that building houses on sites near where they live will benefit them and their community? Because that's fundamentally what drives an awful lot of nimbyism is that sense that, oh yeah, housing is an awful issue and I wish my children could get houses, but oh, don't build a house anywhere near me because that will benefit someone else. Um, and, and, I, and, and it's like we treat policy as if it's about, we're a think tank rather than a campaign organisation. So it, let's get the detail of what would be in clause seven of the bill right. And we maybe don't spend enough time on how the heck do we make people want this bill at all. I think that's fair and you're right we're a political party so we're not just a campaign organization you know the electoral reform society exists and so if you wanted to do nothing other than talk about electoral reform and, and how the transfers work uh, in round two of the voting then absolutely there an, an organization exists for you it is created for you and we're about Yes, we're about campaigning for the things we care about, but we're about making change happen as well. So it's yes, it's about getting the the law where it needs to be, but it's and it's about making change happen because we're we're restless. We're not happy with the way our society looks. We there is so much that needs to be improved, and there is an urgency about that. And the way we do that is not just by being a single issue uh, pressure group. We're a political party and we exist to fight and win elections so that we can change our communities for the better. And it's interesting the way you phrase that, because I guess this is where there's maybe a slight difference in emphasis perhaps between you and me is how what the role of winning elections is, because definitely, you know, we're not a residence association. Um, and we're not, as you say, the ERS. There is something that makes us different as a political party. And the idea of fighting and winning elections is absolutely central to that. I do worry, though, that particularly when we're trying to build up the party in weaker areas, a pitch that's basically about, well, if you work really hard for the next three years, we might we have a first council seat. And then we work really hard for another 12 years beyond that, we'll end up with control of the council. And then if we're really lucky, four years on from that, we'll have the MP. And they might then become Secretary of State for Education five years into being an MP. So brilliant. All of these education things you're really passionate about. Slog your guts out for, I can't remember how many years I said, let's say 23 years. And then we'll be empowered to do something about it. 
is quite an off-putting pitch. <laughs> um, and part of the answer to that is to focus, therefore, on the really specific local issues. So, well, OK, yeah, changing the education system might be 23 years down the road, but hey, we can fix those potholes tomorrow. And that's great because we can fix them and we can make a difference to people's lives. But we do need a way to turn people's concerns for bigger issues, sort of more national issues, into effective action that isn't simply stick with it for years and years and hooray, one day we'll be in power. Um, and, and I think that's where it, it gets into the question of should we be a little, think of ourselves a bit more like a political movement rather than simply an election winning machine. So I don't think you need to be Secretary of State for Education to change mm. education policy in the country. I do think though that winning elections makes a difference. And an example that I've talked about before is when I write a letter on behalf of a local resident and I don't put the word councillor in front of my name, and then I write a letter with councillor, I get mm. a really different response and it makes a difference. And some of that is about knowing how to make mischief for people. Yeah. Uh, and make your voice louder than it naturally would be, but it makes a difference. You know, you are, it's wrong. The system should work for everybody, regardless of whether you're a councillor, an MP, a peer, whatever. But it, let's be realistic, the system does treat you differently if you have councillor at the front of your name. And so winning elections makes a difference because it makes you better able to fight on behalf of your local residents. And yes, being Secretary of State for Education does mean that you can have a serious influence on what education policy is, absolutely. But if you're a school governor, actually, you have a role to play in, in implementing some of those policies and making decisions about, you know, the culture of a school. And, and I've been a school governor for uh, finishing my fourth term this summer. So 16 wow. years I've been a school governor uh, at two different primary schools. And the influence you can have there and the role that you play at looking at some of those cultural issues like relationship and sex education and how you work with local faith communities who have strong views about, how, about the right way of doing mm. that, that really matters. Because actually, yes, so I'm not an education professional and I work closely with those in the school where I'm a governor, but actually as a governor, you've got a real role to play there. Equally as a counsellor, when you're setting policies for what community schools and how your local education authority, if indeed you have one, works with the various schools in your community, that, that plays a role. So winning elections matters, but being Secretary of State is not the only way you make it. No, no. and in a way, I mean, that was just a sort of verbal shorthand. But, um, but your point about governor, though, is an interesting one, because... If you were to say, as a collection of, you know, near on 150,000 members and registered supporters, you know, how do we as the Liberal Democrats best improve the prospects of children's lives? We don't do very much as a party to encourage people to become governors or to help them become better governors. You know, some local parties, in fairness, are really good at this. Um, and I suspect yours probably is one of those. But overall, even though, as you say, there's this route where actually electoral success often means then we can have more opportunity to encourage and appoint people to be governors and so on. But there is that route there that in the end, being a governor is not an elected office in the way that you know a public election works. And yet it can influence people's lives. And my reason for going down this, this angle a bit is because I think there's a point that Dorothy Thornhill and her colleagues make in the election review report, which is a really important and difficult one, which is that in the tail end of last year, the party sort of faced a choice was our priority to stop Brexit 
always our priority to maximise the number of Liberal Democrat MPs at the next general election. And at various times, those two pointed in different ways. And I think we would, I'm sure we would all love to be able to say, here's some sneaky way out. Here's, you know, Captain Kirk-like reprogramming the computer in the impossible simulation. Here is a way of avoiding that. But sometimes there is a little bit of a choice there, isn't there? Um, and my, I guess my, my, the best example of this in many ways is Steve Webb. So when he was a minister in coalition 2010 to 15, he was a brilliant pensions minister, really well rated by people all across the political spectrum. He introduced pension reforms that are going to make a difference to people's lives for decades to come. And particularly in decades to come, it'll be some of the lower paid people who will benefit most. So really, you know, if I could achieve a fraction of what Steve has achieved for making people's lives better, I will feel I've done, a, you know, had a wonderful life. But, massive but, the quid pro quo to make all of that happen was he kept silent about what Ian Duncan Smith was doing basically. So Ian Duncan Smith was the right-wing Conservative Secretary of State who he was serving under, and to get to do his stuff, he he took the view that he couldn't therefore be the regular week-in, week-out public critic of a lot of stuff IDS was doing and Lib Dems weren't, didn't like. Was that the right trade-off? It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think you're right, though, about making decisions, and I think some of our Lib Dem councillor colleagues will be making similar decisions, although on a more local scale, week in, week out. You look at some of the shared administrations that there are. Lib Dems are in power or shared power in in lots of parts of the country. There are 50 Lib Dem council leaders in the country. Some of those are in coalition. And that means working with people we don't agree with on absolutely everything. And I think... uh, we do most people do that in the workplace regardless of what their workplace is all the time you can't just work with people who have passed some sort of purity test Mm. who agree with you on on all the issues that you care about and sometimes that it means working with people across party to get stuff done and that happens and i'm thinking about a motion about um inclusive relationship and sex education Mm. that I proposed in the chamber in Stockport and it was seconded by a Labour member and because we agreed on it and you know we didn't agree on something else on that agenda later on but we agreed on it it was important and made a we think make it made a difference to our community so we worked together on it and I think you can do that I do think that's different after an election so when you look at what the numbers are that the electorate decide I do think that's different than looking and, and politicians making decisions on behalf of the electorate before yeah, an election. Right, yeah. I think that is different. Um, but when, when people have been elected and you've got a mandate from your electorate, I think then working together cross party, I think is a good and healthy thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my view in the end on Steve's record as pensions minister was that it would have been better if we'd had a few more, but not too many more ministers like him during that time in government, because you know, Steve changed the country for the better, but in a way that gave, sadly, very little political payoff for us at the then the subsequent election. And you need some people who are going to do stuff that will give the payoff. A good example of that as well is actually, I think, you know, the work of Lynn Featherston with getting same-sex marriage legalised is that the very success often of those sorts of reforms is that once they're introduced, almost everyone ends up supporting them. 
And so it's a massive achievement to get it done. But then once you have, the political payoff disappears almost overnight because you then have everyone saying, yes, of course, this is what we want. Yeah, no, of course, we're not good. Even now, there is, I don't think even in the wilder excesses of the Tory party, you would find really any push to, to repeal that legislation. So, hooray, we achieved this vote for us when now everyone wants it, doesn't, re doesn't really work. I think, how have you, I mean, if, I think I'm right in saying that it's been a fair mix of sort of political patterns on the council since you've been elected as a councillor. So how this plays out locally, trying to get the balance right between, I want more Lib Dem votes at the next polling day versus I want to achieve more things for the community between now and then. So I was elected in 2016 to Stockport Council. So I represent the finest ward in the country, which is Bradbury Green and Romley. And <coughs> it, has been a, <laughs> it has been a council in no overall control the whole time hmm. while I have been elected. So I've been elected four years and I was due to be on a ballot paper in May, but of course there were no public elections in May. So I get uh, another year until the voters get another say on me. Um, it has been a Labour administration the whole of the time since I've been elected and we have been, Lib Dems have been in opposition and we just went into opposition at the election where I got elected. Having been in administration for over a decade, probably two decades or so. And so the team who had been councillors for a long time took a little while to readjust yeah. to being oppositional rather than in the administration. So for me, first of all, um, you, you are elected on a Monday and you're making decisions about a £240 million budget on a Thursday. You know, you're in a meeting where you're looking at this stuff. So you have to learn how to walk and then run quite quickly. The first thing I think you need to do, and I do some uh, work with the LGA supporting Lib Dem councillors and, and council groups across the country, is to work as the award councillor first and foremost. Because if you don't get that bit right, you're not going to be doing the rest of it for very long. The voters will decide they'd like to try somebody else. So it's looking at, at being a ward councillor and then seeing what the listening to your voters and seeing what the issues are there and then standing up for them. And if you're making a point, and you do make a point differently if you're in opposition than if you're the administration, but it's the same point, just slightly more pointed, usually. <laughs> you if you're doing it on behalf of your residents and you're you're making a point that they have raised with you, then that's usually the right stuff. I think thinking through, okay, so we're getting, we're getting to polling day in May. What do I want on my eve of poll leaflet? What are the three things I want my voters to know about me? And it's probably uh, Lib Dem good, Tory or Labour bad, the other ones can't win here is sort of it. But you want some more substance in the Lib Dem good and what have you achieved? And I think you need some concrete achievements to point to. And it might be, I protected this bit of green space. I delivered some new public toilets. I saved the 372 bus, what, whatever it is, you want some concrete achievements to point to. And I think you can do that by sometimes knowing the rules better than the opposition. Yeah. And so you know how to get things done and being, working with other people who, who you on when you agree on a particular issue and campaigning like like we do up and down the country yeah and i guess for a lot of members who have joined us in the last couple of years which is the dominant part of the party membership it's been national political issues that have most motivated them and i think i'm probably one of the more optimistic that 
you know, people who have joined us because of Brexit, we can keep them involved and active in the party because the underlying values that have driven that, driven that is still relevant to all sorts of other issues that will continue to be at the forefront of political debate. But I, but I think there is a slight difference there that a lot of the new members who have joined are much more focused in that sense on national politics and the overall state of the country as opposed to the particular state of their street and their community. And that's not to say they don't care about it or they're not involved in stuff, but, but it seems to be in as much as if there is a fault line in the party at the moment, it's not really an ideological one. It's much more about how passionate people are around the idea of what the local council does versus what government in Whitehall, uh, in Holyrood, in uh, in the Senate in Wales does. Um, and, and you've had quite, I guess, quite a lot of those members as well joining your patch too. How, how have you found trying to get them, I mean, obviously the elections were called off in May, but prior to that, in the sort of January, February time, post general election disaster, pre coronavirus disaster, those heady, carefree days of January 2020. How are you finding it trying to segue people from national, international politics into more, uh, I was about to say parochial, but that's often a, used as a pejorative word, more local focused politics? So I, I am one of these people, you know, I didn't join the Liberal Democrats because I was exercised about dog mess and Lisbon provision in the village centre. Um, I joined because of the big picture national and international issues. And it's, um, it took me a while to think through why local is, is probably where we should be starting more often rather than just where we should be yeah. ending. Um, so I, I, I get it, right? I, I don't necessarily want a, a heated debate with my fellow local Lib Dem members about dog mess. It's not, it doesn't excite me in a morning uh, and I don't leap out of bed thinking about it. But um, if you get that stuff right, it enables you to do some of the other stuff. So it enables you to look at education policy locally. It means that you can fly the buy flag from Stockport Town Hall, It mean, which, which sends a statement out uh, in a way other stuff doesn't. Um, there are some people, and, and lots of those are the people who vote at election time, who really do care about local issues above and beyond anything else. Uh, and I think working with people on the stuff they care about is how we can get stuff done. Um, there are big national policy issues that, that realistically we're not going to be in a position to do very much about in the short term. There are issues that affect people's lives in far more obvious ways that local councils have so much power over. So I wasn't, before I was elected as a councillor, I didn't know how much I'd enjoy it and I absolutely love it. I can't, it's, I find it challenging to explain how much I get from being a councillor and how much how rewarding it is, how, how deeply infuriating it is when you know what the solution is to a problem, but you just, you, you're not quite at the, you're not quite there. So you're pushing on it, but it, it can transform people's lives. Yes, on an individual basis, but also much broader than that. And you can make huge differences to make uh, our values come to life in action locally in a way that as a backbench Lib Dem MP, you're not going to be able to do. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a point that, it, you know, we've been grappling a little bit in our roles in the party with, which is what's the right balance of resource and attention 
between trying to get from 11 MPs to even more MPs compared to trying to get from 50 Liberal Democrat council leaders or co-leaders around the country to even more than 50. And, you know, I think you can't really quite compare the two. Um, but it's certainly the case that you can make a really strong argument that a Liberal Democrat council leader has a much bigger impact on people's lives than an additional Liberal Democrat backbencher. Now, of course, more Liberal Democrat backbench MPs potentially leads to opportunities where we do have the ability to do stuff in Parliament that completely swamps what council leaders can do. Um, but, but traditionally in the party, in terms of centrally how we've organised, how we funded stuff, where we've put priorities in, we've treated it as if MPs are the only thing that matters and council leaders are a nice incidental bonus if we have some when actually in terms of making a difference to people's lives that's not the balance at all is it? No completely agree and it wasn't something when I joined the party over a decade ago I didn't I didn't know really what award was and I didn't know necessarily what level of government made which decision and I think I was probably reflective there of most people who don't know exactly which level of council you know is it the town council that does war memorials or the disc what is it and i think most people don't just want stuff to work mm. locally and they just want the country to work in a way that's kind of fair and they might see fairness in a slightly different way but they just want stuff to work a lot of it and um, you can have a huge impact as a councillor so you can be the lone lib dem voice asking questions, pushing, challenging on behalf of your residents, on behalf of our values in a chamber, or you can be a council leader making huge changes to address the climate crisis, standing up building houses where we need houses, making sure that the housing stock that exists is safe and warm and has got solar panels on top of it and feeding back in uh, to the energy grid. And you can do hugely different things that affect lots of people's lives. It might not make the headlines on the front of the tabloids, but you can make a massive difference. One thing just to say in terms of what we can do, you think about one additional MP or MSP or, or um, Senate member. And actually, if you look at the Scottish elections, which we're, which are coming in 2021, it is entirely- permitting. <laughs> yeah, um, that are currently planned for 2021. It is entirely possible that a group of Liberal Democrat MSPs could be the thing that keeps the union together. Mm. So if you think about the balance in the Scottish yeah. Parliament, if we're currently at five, certainly within our graph to go to 10. Does that look like the balance of power? Is that what stops uh, another Scottish referendum? Is it what stops in Scottish independence? Is it what keeps our country together? And actually, you know, That's I think that would be a really... Yeah. yeah quite important I think. Yeah. Um, the thinking about sort of a couple of things we've talked about about the balance between local and central government and also about things that did or didn't work last year um, what would be what other sort of main things I mean I know the answer to this question but listeners won't so but what are the main things that are on your hit list for what you think we need to change in the party to be able to win more elections? I think Targeting matters. Mm. So I think that one of the things that the election review talked about was the way that target parliamentary seats were chosen mm. and what that meant. So you can say anything's a target, right? But if you if you don't target your resources there, then is it really a target? So one of the things we did was was target quite broadly to start with. 
um, and this is before both my and your time in our respective roles. So these are other people's. This decisions. feels like a time when, at which we might want to emphasise that both of us took up office this year. <laughs> yeah, we did. We really did. Um, and I think, so targeting is a, is a good thing. Uh, and the reason why is because it helps us win more elections than if you try and do something absolutely everywhere. What targeting doesn't do, though, is if you just call something a target, that, that doesn't necessarily then move your vote up. So, so targeting was certainly one of the things, and that's our resources in terms of people and effort. A key thing was around message and around, I mean, you talked about what we were saying about Brexit, and I think it was Tim Farron, who I've heard tell this anecdote several times, that we were uh, at the playing the tracks for a disco last year and we were playing all the songs that we thought people should want to listen to. Even if they weren't enjoying it, it was good for them, they should listen to it. It was the John Peel specials. Whereas actually a good DJ isn't playing stuff off the John Peel show, they're playing the floor fillers and they're playing stuff, yeah, that we agree with, that we enjoy, but it's also stuff other people want to listen to. And I think we were, we, I can say as a candidate, we would, as a party, it felt much more like we were doing lots of talking at people rather than having a conversation with them. And I think that led to it being received, our message being received in a way that didn't compel as many people to vote for us as we would have liked. Yeah. So message and targeting has been some of the work we've been doing so far. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing that hopefully is a silver lining <clears throat> with the current parliament is that it will last four or five years which is bad news in many ways, but does at least give us more time to get our act together on many things. Because I think, and also although, I mean, I can imagine lots of scenarios in which Boris Johnson ends up not fighting another general election as Tory leader. The circumstances in which the Tories, given that they've got a very large majority and given what happened to Theresa May, the circumstances in which they agree to an earlier election seem not impossible. We need to bear them in mind as a sort of one in 10, one in 20 chance, whatever, but most likely we'll have a long parliament and therefore also several rounds of local and devolved elections before we get, um, we get there. I guess one of the things that we, particularly you and I and colleagues need to get right is in the past predecessors of, of ours, have often talked about how local government really matters and how we need to take it more seriously. And that talk hasn't really been then met by a significant change. Um, and hence the fact that in a way, we're now saying things which you can find other people having said 10 or 20 or, yeah, we're just about old enough as a party to have 30 years ago, you know. Um, so do you have any thought on what it is that we need to do different to just not just be the next generation of people who said that? I think in terms of implementing our desire to get more Lib Dems elected, you're absolutely right that there is, there's always another opportunity around the corner to get Lib Dems elected. Mm -hmm. And at every level, the paper that came to the, com or that has come to the committee in various iterations mm -hmm. is called Winning at Every Level. And we mean it, we're not just talking about, okay, well, there's going to be a general election probably in 2024 but as you say there's a chance it's earlier than that so just as an aside even if it is even if this parliament runs to its maximum length so december 2024 we're over 10 percent of the way through mm. it um which i think is is a useful reminder for people who think oh well i'll get around to doing some campaigning at some point in you know whenever um 
winning at every level matters, not least because that's how we make a difference to, to our communities and to people's lives, whether it's town council or MSP or whatever it is, that it makes a massive difference. But also if you, if you are one of those people who is much more concerned about general elections than anything else, if you look at where we did well in 2019 and where we do well as a party, yeah. it mm. is where we have local areas of strength, where we have that record of action, where we have that team and that infrastructure who want to win and who know what a difference winning makes. And so if you want an MP for your area and you don't currently have a shed load of councillors, then getting some councillors elected is, is a massive help. Not, not least just in and of itself, because you can make a difference to your communities, but also because it's going to help you be more of a challenger as to get an MP elected as well. Um, and winning at every level, that one of the reasons I'm really keen that we talk about that rather than just some MPs being elected or not elected or MSPs or whatever, is because it does, you know, we see day in, day out, the difference it makes to get people elected at every single level. Yeah, and I, I guess part of my answer to the question would be that a lot of stuff in the party happens on inertia. Now, ironically, for a party that likes to talk about radical change in the outside world, as an organisation, we're often quite a small C conservative one. So I think one, but one upside of that is that if we can change some habits, those changes are quite likely to stick. Um, so I think that's that's part of how we end up with it being genuinely different this time around. I think another element is, you know, we start thinking and, about and supporting potentially winnable seats many more years out from the elect from the polling day, at which we hope that will turn into a, a Lib Dem MP, than we do about winning control of a council. And so there's a bit of rebalancing there, which is not which is, you know, it's complementary to both processes. You know, if we're thinking more effectively about, well, there's this council we might win in three years time. What do we do over the full three years rather than ignore it for two and a half of the years? And then at the last moment, think, should we give it some more G8 funding? Just the name of one of the party's sort of financial schemes. Um, if, we, if we're getting that right and thinking longer term on control of councils, that does also, as you say, set us up for more parliamentary successes in those, in those areas as well. But I've been... You know, as somebody who already knew the party pretty well before I took up office as president on January the 1st, I have been really struck, though, how seeing some things from this new perspective, just how strong that imbalance is between you know, parliamentary stuff we think about a long way in advance, local government, massively shorter timescales. And it's not as if the underlying electoral challenge is in a way so different that one needs long-term attention and the other doesn't. It's not like that at all, is it? Um, as indeed, think, I'm sure. I think thinking back to, to Dorothy's review last year and talking about the climate, so, so there were lots of things that didn't go great last year, but I think one of the things that hasn't had as much discussion as I think it might have done is, is, is the, the atmosphere last year and the fact that there, you know, there was a crunch Brexit vote every 20 minutes mm. and there was, is this going to be the thing that changes the dynamics of our entire continent? And it was just, it was constant. And I think people not having time to think and plan or, or making decisions that meant that they didn't have the time to think and plan strategically led to, to decisions being taken that in the end uh, weren't great decisions in some cases. Um, 
one of the things that we've got, and you talked about the luxury of some time, probably, but we, we're also fresh, you know, we're not completely mm. knackered. And there were people there who had just been very true. slogging it out for years and we're knackered, you know, we're trying to run a party and we're trying to plan for stuff. And then there was a new MP who'd come to us from somewhere else and had defected from another part and that was great. But it was just this constant treadmill of news after news after news. We've got some time to do that and we're coming to it fresh so that we can say things that, that to us don't sound controversial, but you know, let's start a meeting on time and let's have an agenda that we stick to and let's look, let's keep things strategic and not get bogged down in the operational. And it's, it's easy for us to say, cause we're, we're not utterly knackered. And I think that does make a difference. And there's a really good minor example of this, but hopefully quite useful of just, you know, you, you may have noticed me on several occasions when agendas for different meetings are being being drawn up saying let's have the thing that requires a member of staff to be present at the beginning of the meeting so they can dial in for that bit and then they can and the moment you say it it's blindingly obvious but a lot of the agendas have been you know the structure has accumulated over time and people have been so busy running the process nobody's taken the step back to say you know what let's just swap around two items and suddenly that makes it a more efficient process that doesn't have people hanging around on the phone and all of that. It's, I, th I think there's a lot like that. Let's hope that we don't in years to come look back at our naivety as to think, oh, do you remember when we thought we could, you know, we'd be young and fresh and fix all of this. But I think there's real, there's a genuine scope for real optimism. Part of that, as you say, is about learning from the past. Um, so one sort of final question, I guess politics has thrown a lot at us in the last year. Uh, what would you say, and that's us for whether that's referring to you and me or the Lib Dems or the country or the world, um, but what would you say is the most important thing you've learned in that time? I think remember why you do it, I think is really important. Remember what brought you here to begin with. So yes, the last year, I fought my third general election as a candidate and losing elections sucks and we should do less of it. We should do more winning and which is one of the reasons why I said yes when I was invited to consider standing for this position. And um, I think remember why you do it because I think it matters and getting more Lib Dems elected matters and that's why this role is a privilege it, it hugely is but also it's a huge responsibility because actually if we mess up you and I and others it, it makes a difference and our country will be the worse for it so it's remember why you do it because sometimes when you're having a you know it might be a tedious committee meeting or it might be a late night conversation with somebody who um, needs your your decision on something it, it matters and so focus on why you do it not what you want to get out of it if that makes sense yep that does and that sounds like an excellent note on which to uh, end so thank you very much for your time lisa and thank you everyone for listening you can find lisa on twitter at lisa smart myself in related news at the moment but yes <laughs> uh for pothole and other related news you can also find me uh, on twitter at mark pack and this uh, podcast at bar chart podcast Look in the show notes for some follow-up links to what we've discussed, including an explanation of my brief reference to Star Trek and a little bit more about what Steve Webb 
uh, achieved as a minister and also that earlier interview with Tim Bale on what opposition parties have to do. And of course, if you like listening to this show, please do tell others about the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 